Well, actually, it's only 171 verses. And uh, Ryan said, I'll bet you can't do that. And I said, I got 20 bucks that says I can. And he said, you're on. So we got a lot riding on this. No, actually, he didn't say that. That would have been gambling. Pastors don't gamble, except their whole job is sort of a gamble. But Anyway, there are the Psalms. Impossible goal. When I told Ryan about it, he said, well, we can take a break halfway through and serve lunch. We might get to that. These could be the most important 171 verses in the Bible. They're just amazing verses. And I want you to come to love them the way I do. Uh, Linda and I often refer back to these verses. Uh, Amazing Psalms, and they offer great hope. Uh, The first one, God loves his creation. The second one, God makes and keeps promises. The third one, God enforces boundaries. And the fourth one, God restores repentant sinners. This is all based on ancient history. Uh, In the first one, you'll sense Genesis 1 and 2. In the second one, it's all about Genesis 12 to the end of the book. And the third and fourth Psalms have to do with the history of Israel in the land once they got there. And uh, as we go through these, you may discover that this is your story. This is your story. Uh, You might say, hey, that's me. What's in it for me? Well, my creator loves me. He's made promises to me. I often get into serious trouble. When I repent, he restores me. And that's the whole message right there. doesn't get any better than that. That's the gospel. That's God's message to us. Now, we're going to start and move right along through these. Psalm 104, God loves his creation. Now, picture his delight. God, the master craftsman, thinking this whole thing through, creating the universe, and then focusing in on planet Earth. And he thinks through all the stuff that he has to do. And then he settles in to make this thing, oceans and mountains and valleys. Uh, I have an idea. One of the most favorite parts of what he did was the North Cascades. Just think, Shuxon, Baker, Nooksack River, the salt water here. Uh, He must really enjoy that as he looks down on it. Genesis 131 says, and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was what? Very good. He liked what he'd done. Do you see that? I had an insect collection that I used to show in classrooms. And I'd always ask the question, uh, why did God make spiders? I had a couple of big tarantulas in that collection. Uh, why did God make spiders? And the kids would come up with some reasonably good answers. And then I'd tell them, well, the reason God made spiders is because, get ready for it, he likes spiders. 
Now, <laughs> Scripture tells us that uh, the world as we know it now is under a curse. Sin entered, the world is under a curse. But Scripture also tells us that day will come when the curse will be lifted. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth that lasts forever. Psalm 104 tells us that God loves his creation. And the thing I'd like to drive home to you is that you are part of his creation. The highest thing that God created on this earth that he loved was human beings. Scripture tells us, for God so loved the world. That includes you. God loves his creation. Well, as you look through Psalm 104, you find all kinds of things. Uh, It says, to start with, God, you're very great. You've clothed, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. And it goes on to tell us that you set the earth on its foundations. You covered the earth with the oceans and so on and so forth. Here we have the creation. Then he talks about the mountains and the valleys and talks about springs gushing forth the water of the earth. And then he talks about grass. He talks about plants. He talks about the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, Trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, it says. Uh, They're a refuge for rock badgers. Isn't that interesting? We have the sun and the moon. He mentions lions that come out at night to catch their prey. He says, oh, Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom, you made them all. The earth, the earth is full of your creatures. These are things that God made. It includes us. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. And then he mentions the whales that are there to play in it. Interesting. These all look to you. You give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open their hand, your hand, they're filled with good things. And then the passage that I think is most interesting, it says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. And may the Lord rejoice in all his works. Lord, may this make you happy as you look down on the earth. Thus we have the creator, God, that loves his creation, the whole universe. And the whole universe is absolutely huge. God loves it, but his attention is focused on this earth. And his attention is focused on people, on you and me. For God so loved the world. And we think of mankind, and rightly so. But God loves his world. He loves this creation, of which he said it's good, it's very good. And there will come a time when this creation is redeemed. The psalm ends this way. Interesting phrase. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. And the psalmist saw that evil was the problem. He longed for that day when there'd be no sinners on the earth. No evil at all. And friends, that day is coming. Psalm 104 the God who loves his creation. We look to Psalm 105. The God who keeps his promises. Starts with Abraham. 
covers Genesis 12 to 50, the story of God's promises to the patriarchs and how these promises are kept. It's great assurance for us because you see our whole future depends on the promises of God. Think about that. God has said certain things are right and true. I will do certain things. And we are dependent on the promises of God. And this Psalm tells us in a wonderful way that God keeps his promises. John 3:16 Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. What a promise. God keeps his promises. You can count on God. Starts out by telling us about Abraham and Jacob and the other patriarchs. And then it says in verse 8, Psalm 105, he remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for inheritance. When they were few in number, it was just a little group, a hundred, maybe 200 wandering around in what's now Israel. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And someday this whole territory will be yours. Well, it took a while to get there. You remember the Jacob was taken down to Egypt as a slave he provided the, the way down there. There was a famine that brought the patriarchs down to Egypt. They were there 400 years, and they grew as a nation. And then God sent Moses along. There were the plagues, and it's told to us here. He says, uh, then he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them, miracles, in the land of Ham, talking about the 10 plagues. And he starts mentioning them. There was darkness. There was water that was turned into blood. You remember the frogs? <laughs> frogs everywhere. It says the frogs even got into the king's bedroom. Boy, that would be something. Swarms of flies, hail, locusts. They devoured all the vegetation in the land. And he struck down the firstborn. And you remember the Passover. The Jewish people were told to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. And the angel of death passed over them. Egypt was glad when they departed. And then the psalm ends this way. He remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. He brought his people out with joy as chosen ones with singing. They gave and he gave them the land of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Psalm 105. You see, God makes promises, and he keeps them. And our future is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. If God didn't keep his promises, we'd be hopeless. Where would we be? But God keeps his promises. He's promised salvation to those who confess their need for Christ, turn from sin, turn to Jesus. He's promised forgiveness for those who ask. And he promises a heaven.
And we're dependent on the faithfulness of God. This psalm tells us that God keeps his promises. So we back up a little bit. Psalm 104 says, God loves his creation. We're a part of that. He loves you. He loves me. And God has made promises that we count on. Our whole eternity counts on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. Psalm 105 says, he keeps his promises. Now that brings us to Psalm 106. I see the Israelites turned against God, the God who saved them from slavery in Egypt. They had ample proof of his love and his goodness. They rejected him and joined the pagans. And we are invited into a love relationship with God. He warns us about the cause of rebellion. You see, sin is never free. There's always a price to pay. And this psalm tells us about that. The fact we're dealing with with is that God is holy and good. And these attributes must mark all of his relationships. God instructs us as to what is good and what is evil. He tells us this through scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through lessons from history. We hear it from fellow Christians. God has set boundaries that reflect his character and his people must live within these boundaries. Now he blesses those who live within these boundaries and there's discipline for his people who live in rebellion outside these boundaries. Now, that's what this psalm is all about. God disciplines those he loves. Psalm 106 is about the rebellion of the Israelites after God had so wondrously saved them from slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land. It was a horrible rebellion against the God who had done so much and showed himself so powerful on their behalf. Now, this psalm is a warning for us all of the cost of turning away from God. He said, God is holy and good. If we're his people, we have to be holy and good. Now, some of us have learned this lesson the hard way. You trusted Christ, you wandered off. He disciplined you. You came back again. Or maybe before you knew Christ, you had wandered a long ways off and it wasn't working. It got worse and worse. And that discipline of God drove you back to God in some way. Hebrews 12 tells us whom the Lord loves, he disciplines us. In the book of Hebrews, he says to people, hey, you haven't struggled very hard against sin. You guys are kind of playing a little bit with sin. He says, uh, you've forgotten something that God has said. He says this in Hebrews 12, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. 
because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I lived on a farm and we had a barn that uh, about the size of this here, had a peaked roof like this and two shed roofs off the other side, each side. And uh, my brothers and I would uh, like to go up there and we'd run on the shed roof, run up to the top, teeter at the top, run down the other side and try to stop before we went over the edge into the manure pile. (laughs) We thought it was fun. Dad didn't think it was all that much fun. And uh, I remember one time we were running on the roof and I was standing there and I looked down and there was dad. He was just kind of looking up at us. He said, come on down, boys. So my brother Joe and I came down and several of the neighbor kids were with us. Dad has an interesting sense of humor. And so he sort of picked us up and leaned us over the rail fence. And he looked around and found a board about that long so he could spank both of our rear ends at the same time. (laughs) And I know he was trying not to laugh out loud. But you know the interesting thing is? He didn't spank the neighbor kids. They weren't his. The Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace by those who've been trained by it. And you see, because God loves you, when you get out of line, he'll do what he needs to to bring you back. God disciplines the ones he loves. Here's Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then in verse 6, the psalmist speaks quite boldly. He says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, by the Red Sea. Yet you saved them for your namesake, that, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe. Huge miracle. Then we pick it up again in verse 13. But they soon forgot his works. Then it talks about the golden calf. It says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God, note the trade, this God that had parted the Red Sea, that had rescued them out of Egypt, that had done all these things up to this point. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. And then when they finally got up to the promised land, they despised it. They said, no way. We're headed back to Egypt. They had no faith in his promise, the text tells us. Then when they got there, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, just a name for one of the fertility gods that involved sexual activity in its worship. They ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds 
and a plague broke out among them. When they got into the promised land, they didn't do as God says. It says they did not destroy the people as the Lord had commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. Here we're talking about human sacrifice. Now, these are the people that God had chosen. He'd done so many things for him, for them, and he, they turned against him. It says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. And he gave them into the hand of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Then it goes on to say, many times he delivered them. And you find a pattern in the Old Testament. There's rebellion against God. There's punishment. There's repentance. There's restoration. Then there's rebellion. Then there's punishment. Then there's repentance. Then there's restoration. And you find this about five times in the history of the nation. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and repented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Now, this psalm describes in very brief terms horrible rebellion against God. And it also, in very brief terms, talks about God's discipline on his own. These were his people. They got outside the boundaries. God brought discipline on them until they cried out to him. Then he rescued them. And that happened over and over again. The fact is, God is holy. He's good. And these attributes must characterize all creation and all relationships with him. God invites us into fellowship with himself and he warns us against the price of rebellion. Psalm 106 is a warning for all of us of the cost of turning away from God. Have you been there? Maybe you trusted the Lord at one point, and you can look back in your life now and you can spot those times when you wandered away. And even now you know what brought you back to God. It's discipline in one form or another. Because he loves you. Because you're a creature from his hand. You're not a product of mindless evolution. God purposely designed every part of his creation. And God purposely designed us. And God purposely designed you. And he wants a relationship with you. If you've wandered away, he wants you back. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now we come to Psalm 107. Ryan, I think I'm going to make it. I want a fresh, crisp 20. We never did make that bet. I don't want the rumor getting out that <laughs> Pastor Ryan's into gambling and 
That's why his kids don't have good clothes. He's into gambling. <laughs> Not true. I just made that up. Now, here's the psalm that is absolutely my favorite. It's a fabulous psalm. Psalm 107. And it tells us that sin is like getting lost. And repentance is like finding home. Sin is like being in prison. Repentance, forgiveness is like being given your freedom. Sin is like being very sick. Forgiveness is like health. Sin is like a wild storm. And forgiveness is like a safe haven. Now, friends, this is truly good news for us as sinners. Really. That includes me and all of us. This is good news. God is in the business of forgiving people who repent. This psalm is all about that. Now, there's a basic theme here in this psalm, and that's what it is. God forgives repentant sinners. And it's told four different ways. The cost of sin and the joy of forgiveness and restitution. Uh, we're going to look at those four different ways. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. It's interesting, this psalm begins with a mention of God's steadfast love, and it ends with his steadfast love. Now here we come. Look at verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Now, this is a description of people who are in rebellion against God. Being in rebellion against God is like that. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Now, we find this identical verse four times in this passage. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then we find what God did. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. And then there's the encouragement to praise God. If you've been wandering to the point where you cried out to God, then he brings you back to where you belong. You're supposed to tell people about it. I think Marty did a great job of that this morning. And it says, he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He says in verse 10, sin is like. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. They were prisoners in affliction and in irons for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Here's what it's like to be in rebellion against God. It costs. It's not free. Sin is not free. Sin is never free. There's always a price. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. There's that verse again. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. And then praise God. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works for to the children of men, for he shattered 
the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. No matter how you're trapped, no matter what's got you, God can break you out. He can set you free. And then we come to the third illustration, verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. It got so bad they loathed any kind of food. They drew near to the gates of death. Here's the solution. (laughs) Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And then the command to tell people about it, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them sacrifice offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. That's the third one. We come to the fourth one, and it's interesting. Here we have men going out to sea. They're sailors. They're experienced. They're used to this. And then a storm that they can't handle comes up. And I think this is illustrating the fact that sometimes we function okay with all of our sin and rebellion, but watch out for that storm that's coming. It's likely to get out of your control. And here are people who finally realize that this is beyond us. I can't wheel and deal with God anymore. I just desperately need his help. And God responds. Listen to it. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wonderful works in the deep. And then... For he commanded and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. And here's an emphasis on our helplessness. When we get caught up in sin, you know, some of it we can sort of manage, we think. But you can get caught up in things that are well beyond your ability to wheel and deal. That's what it's talking about here. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Perhaps you've experienced that. You're at the point where, (laughs) what could you do? Nothing. You were trapped. No way out. And then you cried out to the Lord. You realized that you were in over your head. You cried out to the Lord. And he calmed the storm. And he brought you to where you needed to be. What a wonderful picture of God's willingness to forgive us. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Then verse 33 to 41 is interesting. It tells us that this loving, promise-keeping, standard-setting, forgiving, and restoring God is sovereign. He can do anything he wants to do. He can fix your problem. He can judge you if you're in rebellion. He can restore you if you're repentant. And then finally... We ask the question, what's in these psalms for me? 
Well, condense it down, it kind of comes down like this. Sort of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? My creator loves me. He's made promises to me. I often get into serious trouble when I repent. He restores me. Have you responded to this amazing God who holds out hope, who holds out love, regards you as his creature? (laughs) Maybe you're in trouble. (laughs) Well, the solution is pretty simple. It just says, come back, come back. It's like the prodigal son thought he had it made. He wanders off. He blows the whole thing. He's desperate. And then it says, when he came to his senses, he said, here am I starving to death. My father's servants, even the servants have plenty to eat. I'll go back and say, father, I've sinned. Note how he says this, against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's a picture of a sinner coming to God, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 10th time. And the father says, my son has come back. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Because he was once lost, and now he's back again. Is that your story? Maybe, maybe it could be your story today. Maybe you're a believer, but you've wandered. You need to come back. Maybe you're not a believer. You need to come to God. Psalm 104, the good God who loves his creation. 105, the trustworthy God who makes and keeps promises. Psalm 106, the concerned God who sets boundaries for our good and enforces them. Psalm 107, the loving God who restores repentant sinners. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that these psalms are wonderful. They're true. They have to do with us. They have to do with you. I pray that somehow this message of these amazing psalms might soak into our hearts and minds and we might act upon them. In Christ's name, amen.